praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. I'm so thankful to God for each and every one of you that has joined with us here at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center. We're so excited about what God is doing, what he's saying, the revelations that he's been giving concerning who we are in him. I hope that uh, you went to bed an hour earlier, remembering that today we fast-forwarded or we sprung forward one hour. So I hope that you're with me and that you're not asleep right now. But if you happen to be, praise the Lord, we'll believe that God will um, allow you when you arise that you'll be able to see this sermon online. We're just so thankful again to God uh, for each and every one of you and to the, uh, those of you across America that have been joining with us uh, through our streaming uh, services. Uh, we're still working to get some of the Roku stuff um, reset so that it would function correctly, but uh, we're thankful to God for the platforms that he has given and we welcome you and we thank God for you and know that we are praying for you. I want to talk to you today. Um, I don't plan to be before you long. I, I do want to talk to you and share something with you uh, that God shared with me. Um, he awoken in me, connected to what we've been talking about over the last few months. Um, which connects directly to our identity. And I, I want to share some things with you because um, if you need a title uh, for, today, for today's sermon, um, you can use the title Disabled Identity. Disabled Identity. And I believe that God does not want us to be disabled. God wants to enable us to function in the fullness of our true identity in him. I was watching last night a, a, a television series called Cobra Kai uh, based off of the Karate Kid uh, movie. And um, in one of the episodes that I was watching, one of the main characters um, I guess you would call him the bad guy, so to speak, in, in the series. Um, he had began referring to some of his karate students. He was a karate teacher, or as they say, sensei. And he started referring to his students that had begun uh, to join his school called Cobra Kai um, by their social and physical disabilities. So he would look at them and he would refer to them by what he saw of them and what others saw of them and identified them as. And there came a part as the episode was developing where he had initially a lot of people and those lot of people because of the engagement started to dwindle down because he again was referring to them as losers. He was identifying them or speaking to them in their identity of being 
um, a social loser. And I think some of us have either been that or we've seen it, um, you know, looking at other people in our lives as we were in school and growing up. You know, you have what they say, uh, at least in my day, the cool kids, and then you have the nerds. And typically the cool kids will um, identify the nerds as losers. And throughout the years, it's always been said that the cool kids are cool in school, but the nerds will end up owning the companies that the cool kids will end up working for. And that's kind of been something that's been said to try to balance out the scales, so to speak. But in this episode, he's identifying them not just by their social standing or as they are identified in our social interworkings, but he also was identifying them by their physical disabilities. One of the characters in the uh, show had what we uh, doctors have called a cleft lip and he had a scar from the surgery to repair his lip so he would refer to this person uh, who took offense was emotionally affected by this identity of his physical disability and it came to the point where uh, the student then decides he no longer wants to be a part of the school and walks out because the teacher refused to stop calling him Lip. He would call him Lip. And he kind of, when he asked him to stop calling him that, he said, how can I not call you that because that's what I see. I'm going to call you what I see. What he was trying to uh, get to them to understand was they had to see themselves beyond what other people see them as and tap into the potential of who they are. And in this particular episode, I hope I'm not, if, if any of you are watching uh, this uh, series on uh, TV, I hope I'm not ruining this episode. This is one of the very beginning episodes, so hopefully you're farther along than I am. But um, this one student that had the issue with the physical disability, he uh, decides he's going to change his appearance. And he returns to the school, but he looked different, he carried himself differently, he spoke differently, because he stopped identifying himself with the social identity that was given him, and the physical, the connection or the identity uh, of his connection to his physical disability, and he redefined himself so that people could see who he was now, not who he used to be. And as I was watching this, I heard God saying to me, how I see myself will determine what I accept, not just about myself as far as my identity, but what I will accept from others connected to how they engage me based upon what I have accepted or believed about my identity. My identity is the key to accessing, to accessing my blessing. My identity is the key to accessing my blessing. 
You have to begin to understand this. How you identify yourself is important because how you identify yourself connects you to the things that are the end result or that are the pot of gold at the end of that identified rainbow. Do I accept what others may say about me or do I identify with what God has said about me? I want to discuss something with you over the next few weeks about a cancer that's been within the minds of believers. And this cancer has been small and it is going unnoticed like most cancers in their inception. Most people have issues with cancer because the cancer has not been uh, noticed early enough to where medical intervention can eradicate it. And, and you'll hear this all the time. If we had known sooner, there is more we could have done to uh, fight against this cancer that is in you. But typically, because it is small in its inception, it goes unnoticed. And because it goes unnoticed, it goes untreated. And by the time it gets noticed, it's very difficult to deal with. Even in medical science now, they are encouraging you to go get all these tests at earlier ages than they used to for the sole purpose to begin to identify things that are in you that should not be in you and to hopefully catch them at their birth so that they can be aborted at birth rather than having to deal with something that has now become full grown. This cancer has been small, but it's gone unnoticed. And it's even been accepted by many as something that just is within the thinking of a believer. And I believe it is an attack within the very mind of believers. And it is so subtle that we don't even fully engage it. We just accept it for what it is. But I hear the Spirit of God declaring no more. We have to understand that we have an awesome power within us through our faith in God, in the name of Jesus, and the fact that the Holy Ghost is living on the inside of us. We have unfortunately disavowed all the knowledge of this inner working of power and decided we simply can't do certain things because it is beyond our abilities. We have established within our subconscious that there are borders or barriers that we cannot go beyond because of our limitations or because of our disabilities. God told me to tell his people to stop identifying with your disabilities and identify with a life of power whereby you are more than conquerors through him and he will be with us wherever it is that we go. It does not matter what is occurring in your life. Your success, your victory is connected 
to how you identify yourself in the circumstance. Turn with me in the Word of God to the book of Exodus, the third chapter. I'm going to read for your hearing the 10th verse through the 22nd verse. Exodus 3, 10 through 22. The word of the Lord reads, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, have sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perzites and the Hivites, and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Hallelujah. Looking at this text, I find that Moses was given a command from God to become the emancipator of Israel from Egypt. I find that we also have been given a command from God to emancipate Egypt 
from within ourselves. We have been slaves to Egypt long enough, and it is time to get free. You might be asking yourself, what is the Egypt that is in me? Uh, Egypt is the social and the economical and the financial and the relational ideologies that have been plaguing our minds, our lifestyles, our finances, and even our relationships and culture. And it's time for Pharaoh to let my people go. As we begin to examine this scripture, I want to conduct some spiritual surgery, if you will, and dissect its parts so that we might find a true path to emancipation and live free in our true identity. Beginning at that 10th verse, it starts with a command from God. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You've heard me say in the past, we must live lives of expectation. A life that is in search of something greater than itself. And be resolved that we will find with every waking moment what we are searching for. I have seen the blessing. I have heard of the blessing. I have rejoiced over the word of the blessing. And it's now time for us to possess the blessing as a tangible gift from God so that we might begin to take the blessing and work the blessing. But you cannot work what you do not identify yourself with. Let me say that again. As a matter of fact, those of you that are watching me on Facebook, just drop it in the line. You can't work what you don't identify with. You can't work what you don't identify with. If God is a God that cannot lie, if God is a God that cannot fail, if God knows the plans that he has for our lives and his word declares that those plans are to prosper us, then I have to live in expectation of the fulfillment of what he has said. I have to live a life that declares I identify myself with the promises of God. It has come to pass, and if you look and live with a spiritual eye and ear, and search out the clues which will take you to your blessing in the Lord, you will find that when you begin to identify yourself with the very things that God has declared about you, you will be able to possess and work those very blessings. If God has declared healing for the body, and you identify with that healing, you can possess the healing and work it in your body. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to just shout right there. See, you have a choice. You can either lay down or you can roll up your sleeves and get to work and escape the corruption that is in your members and live a life of rejoicing in the here and now, before you get to heaven. 
The old saints used to sing a song, don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. Because in the end, you know you're going to win. Don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. You cannot shout now if you don't identify with the victory at the end of your drama. This is why for many of us, our drama has caused us to live lives that are not reflective of our identity in the victory that was secured for us in Jesus. My faith leads me to worship God because I know he will not fail me. I know that he will not leave me. Now, how is my faith seen? How is my worship manifested? Well, my worship is manifested in obedience, in obedience to the very things that God has declared over my life. I worship by living out what God has said. If God has declared that I am the redeemed of the Lord, then I worship him by living out my redemption. But the opposite is true. If I'm not living out my redemption, I'm in fact rebelling against him when I identify myself as a sinner after I have accepted Jesus in my heart. If I've accepted Jesus and the process of the acceptance or my faith in what Jesus has done has made me a new creation, but I identify myself as the old thing, you see, the new thing is not a sinner. The new thing is the redeemed. So I have to then see myself as what God has created me as, which is redeemed. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am not, nor can I be identified as a sinner because I've been redeemed. I cannot be the redeemed and a sinner at the same time. I'm either a sinner in need of a Savior, or I am the redeemed because I found the Savior. Let me get back to the text. Moses in this moment experiences a spiritual awakening when he witnesses the burning bush and hears the voice of God. Now many of us have been in the midst of a similar experience where we are waking up from our deep slumber and experiencing God in ways that we've never experienced him before. As we grow closer in understanding and thereby becoming more intimate with God through the revelation of our true identity in him, we are experiencing him in ways and in levels we never have before. But we must refrain from continuing to live and believe and speak as we once did after God has spoken into our lives. God has been revealing much to us here at GMFC. And what we have to understand is that revelation 
brings responsibility. There goes another tag for Facebook. That's, that's another post for Twitter. Revelation brings responsibility. You see, Moses was not allowed to experience the phenomena of the burning bush for mere entertainment or because God wanted to break up the monotony of his day. Ah, the purpose of the revelation was to instruct and then involve him in service. Now, this is a hard and fast rule that's demonstrated in Scripture, and it's something that you have to begin to understand about what God has been revealing to each of you about who you are in Him and who He is in you. When God illuminates us, it is to influence our conduct, which is a manifestation of our belief about who we are. When God teaches us what He speaks, is to be applied to our daily living, our daily thinking, our daily believing. Too many in the body of Christ fail because we simply do not understand the truth behind the spiritual awakening that is taking place in us. The church wants to see the burst of God's glory in the flame. Uh, they want to experience the arresting miracle which adds spice to their dull life. They want the thrill of hearing a divine voice. They want the emotion of taking off the shoes. They want the to hear the exciting promises of deliverance and to know all the prophecy and the end times. But perish the thought that all of this would obligate us to service. Jesus said something so powerful that many of us dismiss. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, the one that is and was and is to come. Jesus, the bright and morning star. Jesus, the word that was with God. Jesus, the word that made all that there is, seen and unseen. Jesus, who has dominion and power and majesty. Jesus, who has all glory. Jesus declared, I came not to be served. But I came to serve. You see, too often the church wants the dramatic, but they don't want the duty. They want the prophecy, but they don't want the precept. They want the spectacular, but they don't want the summons. They want the show, but they don't want the service. I'm here to advise you, it don't work like that. God is not just trying to spice up your dead life. God is not taking perfume to mask your funk. God is trying to wash you with regeneration so your natural order is a sweet fragrance unto itself. God is trying to resurrect your life. God is trying to get you to see you had not been truly living yet. When God reveals truth to us, we can expect him also to reveal work 
for us. Truths engage work. Moses had quite an experience at Mount Horeb with the burning bush, but it was all intended to start Moses on his way in leading Israel out of Egypt. You have to understand, it was not meant to simply be a storyline for a great book. You ought to look around where you are, open your eyes and begin to see you are in fact on Mount Horeb right now. And God is trying to have an experience with you. You ought to look at those that are sitting in their pajamas right next to you on the couch and ask them, will you let your flame be kindled or will you let it go out? God's command said, come now. The time had arrived for the emancipation. There was to be no delay. God had specified in his promise to the patriarchs how many years Israel would be afflicted in Egypt. Genesis 15 and 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a, a, a surety that, they shall, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them four hundred years. There's something that I found about God. God has a habit. And that habit is keeping his promises. So when the number of years is about to expire, he calls Moses to work. You see, there can be no delay if God is going to keep his word. God is demonstrating an earnestness in his command. This is what I hear from him concerning you. The time is now. So come. This is your season. So come. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell them, tell him or her, this is your season. This is your time. Do not delay. Come now. You see, when God calls any of us, it is with the same sense of earnestness. When God says now, he does not mean when you get around to it. It does not mean that you are to think about it, ponder it for a while before you respond. We like to put things on the back burner and let them simmer for a while before we get to them. Someone has taught us that allowing things to simmer or to slow cook makes it taste better. God told me to tell you, he's not slow cooking you. He's not basting you in the fire. As a matter of fact, God said for some of you, I'm turning up the heat and he's putting you on the searing plate. And when you're seared, it's going to lock in all of the juices that God has poured in you. You see, God wants you to act immediately and stop standing on the sidelines watching the game of life play out. Uh, if it's in the game, then get in the game. Uh, you may not know the specific time involved in your deliverance. Uh, like Israel knew their time in Egypt was only going to be 400 years. But that does not mean God is not running on a schedule in your life. I want, 
I know that, that, that you want him on a schedule. And if we're going to be truthful, the schedule you want him on is your schedule. But if you ever get on his schedule, you'll find out your schedule was too long to accomplish anything. And God is trying to get you to your blessing so he can receive his glory out of your life. We've been carrying the ball but running toward the wrong goal line. God is yelling, turn around, your blessing is the other way. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, turn around, your blessing is the other way. Some of us have been running away from God. You ought to tell them, turn around, your blessing is the other way. We've been running into the wrong identity. You ought to tell them, turn around, your true identity is the other way. For us, to be delinquent in our response to God means we risk missing out on the blessing from God. You don't have to look too hard to see lives that have been delinquent in responding to the command of God. And as a result, those very lives have suffered greatly. Do not take God's order lightly. When God says something, you ought to pay attention. Treat it earnestly, and you will never regret it. You see, we too often think that we are in this alone and have no help. God is aware of the failing heart of man. God has a great desire to see us succeed in the plans that he has for us. When God commanded Moses to begin the process of emancipation of Israel, he encouraged him by saying that he would bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There would of course be many difficulties in this work but a great encouragement to obey the command to start the work was that it was going to be successful Moses would indeed lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt God is trying to jump start you right now I hear the voice of God declaring just as he brought Israel out of Egypt he will too bring you out of your personal Egypt. You ought to take a moment and give God some glory right there. You see, God's commands are accompanied by God's encouragement. God has no desire for you to fail because you are identified by him and God cannot fail. He only wants you to reach your potential and to do to reach this potential and to do what he's called you to do, he's going to speak into your life words that will thrust upon your heart to obey and not give up. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The flesh may not find encouragement in this. God's orders do not appeal to your flesh. All the flesh is going to see are the difficulties connected to the work. But your spirit will find encouragement because God will be an ever-present help in your time of storm. I walk not by sight or by the power of my flesh, but I walk by faith or by the power power of his spirit that is alive in me. 
you have to learn as God's people to search out his encouragement. You have to find in his word that which he is speaking to you. David said that there may be times in your life when there is no one around to encourage you and you have to learn to become double jointed, reach around yourself and pat your own self on the back and encourage yourself. The only way to do this is to speak what is truth into your life's condition and stop relying solely on just a set of facts. When God commanded 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Then the accompanying encouragement was, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. When Christ tells us, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and dust uh, rust doth corrupt uh, and where thieves break through and steal, the accompanying encouragement uh, is but lay up for yourself uh, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt uh, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. When Christ exhorts us, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. The accompanying encouragement is because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. When Paul was told by the Lord at Corinth, Spake unto the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. The accompanying encouragement is, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. I just wanted to show you a few examples of God's encouragement that come along with his command to work. I encourage you in the reading of the scripture to be alert to the many places where the truth of God's encouragement is emphasized. This will be a great help in obeying God's command and breaking the cycle of failure in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God told Moses that he was to bring forth God's people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want you to focus on the fact that it was only out of and not unto. You see, God's promise was, and I come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large land unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God would later repeat this same promise in Exodus 3.17, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want you to see something important before I close today. 
Moses was only to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Nothing is said about Moses bringing them into Canaan. For the extent of Moses' command was limited to bringing the people of Israel out. You see, there is a limiting of Moses to only the out of God's promise. I ask myself, why then would be he, lim- he be limited? Moses' limitation was sealed because of this. And it's important that you begin to understand this so that you don't limit yourself. Numbers 27 through 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together. Thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so, that, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You see, this disobedience of Moses brought forth from God the specific command forbidding his entrance into the promised land. He was going to see it, but he couldn't enter it. Moses is the representation of the law. It was by the hand of God that the Ten Commandments were inscribed upon the tablets of stone and then brought to the people through Moses. Moses brought the law of God to the people to teach them how to live, to teach them what is right and expected of them from a righteous God. In the limited extent of this command, there is an important doctrinal truth. Since Moses represents the law, and the law cannot save us. It will not bring us unto the promise. The law cannot bring you to the promise. The law cannot deliver you. The law cannot heal you. The only one who would lead Israel into Canaan was Joshua. Fittingly, Joshua's name is the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus. This is the foreshadowing of your salvation. It is Jesus through grace, not Moses by the law, who will bring us into our eternal promised land both now and in the life to come. When you live outside of the grace of God, you are bound to the law of God and subject to its requirement and judgment. We are not saved by works. Works are demonstrated in compliance to the law which no man can keep. Since your works will fail you, then there's no other way into the promise but by the grace of God. There are people in the body of Christ 
who pay their tithes religiously but are broke. And they're frustrated because it's always been declared, bring ye your tithe and offering into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. Prove me now herewith, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. The problem is we've disconnected ourselves from the benefit of the promise because we were not identified with the source of the promise, which is God's grace. We're identifying ourselves by the law. And the law cannot bring you to the promise. You religiously give, yet you're religiously giving to satisfy a requirement rather than extending your gift out of love for your Savior. You're doing it because you don't want to go to hell and you're trying to be obedient. And that obedience is connected to dotting the I and crossing the T and not your love for God. It becomes a thing of works. And even when you approach God about your lack, you say to God, I have tithed as you have commanded. And don't even realize what you're saying in that moment, I have followed your law. And then misunderstand, because we've connected ourselves to the law, and we cannot fulfill the law, that you've isolated your tithe into just your money, when your tithe is the first of all you have of everything that you have. Most of us don't tithe our time to God. And because you don't, you have now connected your tithe to the law. You've connected yourself to your disobedience. And the disobedience can only be judged in the law which you've connected it to, you've identified it to. When I go to God in moments of lack, I don't give him a laundry list of everything that I've done in his name, of how I've satisfied his instruction. I go to him as his son, knowing he loves me as my father, and his word declares that in my time of trouble, I can call on him. He will not only hear me, but he will answer me. I don't bring up what I've done because I don't want to connect any works that I've done to anything that qualifies me to receive from God. In fact, I'd rather say nothing about what I've done and only talk about what he's done and what he said. 
You see, Israel was in bondage and needed emancipation, just like many of us are today. We are in bondage to this life, this world and its standards. God could have sent an angel to do the job. Or had he so pleased, he could have appeared before the Hebrews in person and brought them out of their house of bondage. But this is not his way. God appointed a human ministry to affect a divine salvation. God says to Moses, I will send thee. This shows us some intrinsic value to God. Human instrumentality is the means God most commonly utilizes in bringing sinners from bondage to liberty, from death to life. But we must be careful here. The fact that God uses human instruments is no cause for the instrument to become full of pride. It is a manifestation of the grace of God that he uses us in the first place. Therefore, we have to view our opportunity to serve as a great privilege. What a great blessing it is that God would allow us to be involved in his work. Which then tells me if God can't fail, then neither can the work he has enlisted me to do fail. It is completed by human hands, but it is created and designed by divine hands. Uh, his attitude of gratitude is certainly not embraced by those who try to get out of serving. They mistakenly view service as a burden and not the blessing that it is. But the true view of service should be that of blessing and the representation of privilege. And as such, it ought to inspire dedicated performances. God does not need us to do his work. But we need to be involved in God's work to obtain blessing. You see, the result of work is payment for service. See, some of you have bought into the idea that the government will keep paying you for no work. I'm here to tell you the government doesn't have enough money to keep paying you for no work. I know that made some folk right, mad right there. We need to get off of governmental assistance. Now, I'm not coming against people that are in need and they take advantage of this opportunity. But the one thing we've seen over this last year with COVID is that there are people who can work, who choose not to work. Because the government has made it better if you don't work than if you did. Because now they're causing you to become reliant upon them to sustain you. But you have to understand that the result of work is payment. God will reward those who serve him. Jesus spoke of payments and interest of investment many times during parables that he spoke. God is not an unfaithful king who would have you suffer while you complete his work. His desire is to have you reap what you sow. As a matter of fact, this is the law of the kingdom of God. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. 
we must, we reap what we sow from our heart. You see, God is not concerned with the outward show, but only that which is sown by the heart of men. And I'm going to stop right there. I think I've worried your patience long enough. But people of God, you have to begin to understand. For far too long, you've connected your identity to the things that are not who God says you are. And as a result, you've reaped the reward of that identification. When you begin to function according to who God says you are, you're connected to the benefits or the privilege that comes with that identification. Now there's responsibility attached to that identification which requires you to work, but the benefits of kingdom work far outweigh the service itself. Don't allow yourself to become disabled from your identity in Christ. Walk out loud who you are in him. Speak out loud who you are in him. Believe out loud who you are in him. And your mind will be blown by what happens in your life next. God bless you.